0: nobody's ever good at things the first time and then you look at babies when they start walking they walk and they fall down and then we clap for them but when we fall down nobody's there clapping and i think that we let we internalize that in a way that makes it hard to start new things
1: welcome to the creative chats podcast Welcome friends to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process and story. I'm your host Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at mikebone and you can check out my work on my website which is mikebrennan.me. I'd also love for you to be a part of our free online private Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's for anyone who's creating anything who wants to show up more consistently for their creativity and craft. And I think that's you. So why don't you head on over to dailycreativehabit.com and join our group today. I look forward to seeing you there. For today's episode, I sit down with a good friend of mine, Cabrina Budwell. And Cabrina is uh, just a bundle of energy, as you'll get to see. Um, Very insightful, and we have a heartfelt conversation today. Uh, Cabrina is a business innovation and communication strategist. Uh, She has founded her own company, Cabrina Budwell Consulting, and we talk about uh, a little bit about what she does today in terms of helping some other creative people, other businesses, uh, entrepreneurs in the space, uh, marrying kind of some tech and some strategy and helping them get their messaging out to the people that really need it. But we also talk about her journey and um, what it looked like for her to get to where she is today and just how she navigates her own personal creativity. As you know, I believe that everyone is creative, even if you're someone who doesn't harness your creativity for a living, um, which I still think that there are ways that creativity comes out, no matter what it is that you do for a living, uh, or it can come out, I should say. Um, I believe that we are all creative beings, that um, there are parts of us that sometimes we just need to create something just for ourselves, for joy. And so we talk a little bit about that today, too, and the importance of not always monetizing everything. Not everything has to be a side hustle or a business that you launch connected to your creative pursuits and passions. Sometimes the best way forward is actually to protect it and have it be something that no one else touches. Maybe no one else sees, but you, but you creating, you engaging with that process is enough is actually more than enough and feeds into other areas of your life. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Again, Cabrina is a great friend of mine and uh, we just have a really uh, insightful chat here. I know it's going to encourage you wherever you are in your journey today to keep showing up, keep creating. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Cabrina Budwell. Well, Cabrina, welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. So I've been just loving peeling back the layers that <laughs> that is Cabrina lately. Um for those uh, who don't know cabrina and i are in a mastermind together and so um we talk about all sorts of things that we're working on and um it's just been fun getting to know you better and getting to understand more of what you do how you show up and uh how it's all packaged so um for the sake of our listeners who don't know who you are probably uh can you give us a little snapshot who you are what you do
0: yeah so like many entrepreneurs i'm very eclectic and have lots of different facets but what it comes down to is i am an innovation strategist and marketing owner and so i own a marketing agency that talks about email specifically and social media and how do we actually connect with the people that we're trying to sell to so that it's not just this yucky feeling that we hear so much about of i don't want to sell well i hate to break it to you that's what a business is
1: yeah Yeah. You know, and that's a cry that is heard very often by a lot of creative people, uh, especially those who are just, they want to stay in their lane. They say, I want to show up and do what it is that I do. That's around my expression of creativity, but I don't want to do all the other stuff. I don't want to deal with email lists. I don't want to have to deal with like people (laughs) sometimes, right? (laughs) They're like, I want to go in the cave and I want to do my thing. And then just magically, I want people to find me and see what it is that I do and buy it. and, you know, have me be able to to live off of that. Uh, But as we all know, that's, that's not the case. And so what you do is very valuable. And I love the way that you talk about it because you make it accessible and not scary.
0: Yeah, well, and one of the things that I found with creatives because they're the primary people that I work with is that they want to help people. But then when they try and help people, they find out, oh, this is harder than I thought. And that's what pushes them back into the cave of like, it was easier when it was just me. yeah. And it absolutely is. But we live in a world where it's not like it used to be, where I build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. We're past that because there's so much stuff that we get inundated by it. And then we're all overwhelmed by the amount of choices that we have. So you could have the best product, the best service, the best art in the whole entire world. And nobody would know because it's not like it was when Van Gogh was prancing around. You couldn't just walk down the street and be like, oh, this is an amazing painter. There is nobody else like him. There's lots of people doing what you're doing. It's just how do I differentiate myself enough to be the one that draws my people in? But the beauty of that is that you can draw your people in and not just every Joe Smo that you hate working with. So think about your worst experience with that. And those are the people that you were drawing in incorrectly. And then think about the best person, and how do we duplicate those people?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it, it, the way that you talk about this in terms of like, you know, you bring strategy and you bring the tech piece and creativity, and you you just have this way of of aligning it all and helping people see like these things aren't at odds with each other; they don't have to be, right? Um, but they can actually, when they're they are aligned they're working for you and they're they're helping you get to where it is that you want to go. Um, was this something that was like always part of your wiring and what you did? Like where did, what were the, the roots of this when you were younger? Like how, how did this show up, you know, as a kid?
0: Well, I don't think that I necessarily called it strategy when I was a kid. I was just really good at seeing a lot of pieces and then putting them together in my head. And I still do that with people. Like I can't necessarily explain what it looks like, but when people see me in that space, they're like, oh my goodness, how did you do that? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of my sweet spot where I'm like, you regurgitate everything at me and I'm like, oh, okay, here's how all the pieces go together. So it's just, to me, it's like seeing a giant puzzle poured out all over the floor And being able to go, okay, here's this, here's this, here's this. Like if you ever saw, um, I think it was Psych, where he would close his eyes and he'd be able to tell you where all the hats were in the room. That's just how my brain functions. And so it's definitely something that's learnable. It just sometimes takes people a little bit more time to learn it. And like, I never thought that I'd be doing, I never thought that I'd have my own business. I never thought that I'd be where I am in life. I thought that I would be, Either uh, Imagineer, because at four, I thought that because I could color in the lines, that made me prime real estate for Imagineering. And then as I got older and realized that I was better at the business sides of things and creativity kind of got shut down because it wasn't the kosher thing to do. Nobody makes money as an artist. You can't just go gallivanting around acting and singing and be my I wanted to be Miley Cyrus before she went crazy. <laughs> And so that was like my goal of like, you know, you walk through Walmart and Target and there was her face on every shirt in the 90s and early 2000s. And I was like, that's going to be me. And then I realized that that world is very, very difficult and very, very cutthroat. And that's not what I wanted for myself, for my body image, for who I was as a human. But I knew that I wanted to be able to be center stage mm-hmm. in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the the creative portion and the past and and drawing and painting and things. Um, I know you had an experience that you shared with me before about how you came to a certain point where it was like it was the definitive point at which I think you said, all right, I'm putting this aside. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So it was kind of a it was a really sad moment for me because I am once I am on a track. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. No one will stop me. And God help you if you try. And I remember I was like, I was in AP art. And I wouldn't say that I was the best. I never ever felt like my art was the best. I thought it was different though. It came from everything from a different perspective. And I really focused on the story behind things and Mm -hmm. why things were there and why there were certain really nerdy things. I got really deep into all of that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school for drawing and painting. It's going to be amazing. That's what's going to get me into Imagineering and it'll be history from there. That was the plan at least. And then we sat, we went one weekend down to one of the art colleges in Denver and we went through this whole entire thing. And I was like, okay, there's no drawing and painting. There's still no drawing and painting. Why is everybody talking about a computer? Because you have to remember, this was still when all of this digital art was fairly new-ish. So this would have been like 2009, 2010-ish. And so I hadn't learned how to use Photoshop or didn't have the fancy cameras and all of that stuff. So I was like, pen and paper. This is the old way. This is the known way. This is the way that I want to go because this is how Walt started out. And that was my inspiration to even go into all of that because I saw what was possible. And then at the very end of the presentation, they sat us all down in this oversized classroom with all these easels in it and it looked fantastic. And then they dropped the number of how much art school costs and they're like 120,000. And it wasn't even like four years, that was like a year and a half, two years of school. And I was like, holy mother of God, Hmm. There's yeah. no way because I have to pay for this myself, and I already have three jobs in high school. So I was totally crushed because I was like, "There's no way I'm don't fit to, into any other scholarships. I don't fit into this box." So I was like, "Okay, cool, Cabrina, It's time to figure your life out and go find the career that's going to make you money." Hmm. And. So I looked everywhere. I was trying to go to a party school in Virginia called Liberty because I was like, I don't want to be close to Colorado. I want to get away from this place and start my life my own way anew. And then I saw at there was a choice between Metro here in Denver or Colorado Christian University. I had no desire to go to a Christian school, but then they sent me the letter with all the scholarship money they were giving me. And I was like, OK, fine, I'll go. Um <laughs> But the dean of the business school at the time was a Disney fanatic, and he actually had a class on Disney. And I was like, okay, fine. It's a sidestep in because at least I can be in that world and be doing something that I love in a different way, maybe one that I wasn't expecting. So I was kind of just taking life as it came and trying to fit the pieces in where I wanted them to be based on the dream that was kind of it wasn't dead. It was just kind of dormant. Mm. Like a seed that was sitting there in the dirt that hadn't been watered for a really long time.
1: Yeah. So that brought you then over to eventually to to Disney to work with Disney. Was that it? Was that relationship?
0: Kind of. Um, so what happened is my first semester, I did the whole freshman normal thing. And then during January semester, we went to Disneyland and it was fantastic. I had never been before. And so I was like, a little kid everywhere I went. I was like, this is amazing. And there's all these different things. And being the nerd that I am, I had read all the books about all the different aspects of like how you can't hear the music between one land to another. And so of course, I'm the one going and like trying to see all of those little <laughs> intricate aspects and details that are just amazing. And, you know, it always fascinates me even when I go now having gone several times and worked there and all that stuff is it's just so in depth. Like there's so much thought that goes into everything and there's so many layers, but um, I was in Frontierland, and we were all getting lunch and stuff like that. And we were right next to the Winnie the Pooh ride, which is one of my favorites. And because I'm a small child. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at my professor and I was like, I'm going to have one of those name tags. And again, once I say I'm going to do something, it is impossible for me to like off track. So I applied for the Disney college program, ended up getting in after harassing them because they had lost my application. And so I Googled everything and found a phone number and just like harassed until they finally were like, here, please come (laughs) and work for us. And then I got there and the orientation was amazing and all of that stuff. And then I ended up in foods.
1: Hmm.
0: which if you've ever worked at a restaurant, it is no different at Disneyland than it is at McDonald's on Harbor. Same Hmm. exact thing, same exact problems. And I almost quit and came home halfway through because I was like, this is not what I imagined this would be. This is not magical. This is not exciting. All people do is complain about how cold or how hot or how whatever their food is. And it doesn't matter how magical you try to make it or how much you push towards it. And I had a couple of friends who were like, but what about the other opportunities? And so I just kept holding on to that little slice of hope. It's one of, it's my gift and my curse. I am a Mm -hmm. hopeless or hopeful, hopeful, like a hopeless, hopeful, romantic kind of thing. Um, But I just, I couldn't let go. And then I applied for the internship, which is a step up from the college program. And I was the only one qualified because I thought I was going to go to school to be an interpreter because interpreters make money and I like sign language. So I was like trying to do, I like this, it makes money. What can I push together? And ended up having a fantastic time writing all the documentation for children with autism and doing audits on attractions. And it opened up a lot of different thought processes of, okay, I'm really good at this. And I still hadn't connected that this was creativity. Mm -hmm. It just was business in my mind. And over the last probably two-ish years, I've started to realize, oh, hey, this is something that is creative. And then in writing the book that I'm writing, realizing that creativity on the right side of the brain the bridge that gets you over to the left side is actually strategy so they're one and the same it's just the same coin two different sides
1: yeah yeah and you know it's interesting that <clears throat> as you talk about these steps that you took and i see that that tenacity and the you know um that puzzle solving quality for you to get in there and go, you know what, even when this doesn't necessarily look like what I think it should have looked like or what I want it to look like, you're figuring out how can you reposition it or how can you re-envision something. Um, and I think that's that's such an admirable quality because so many people in the face of that either accept what is and they just resign and go, that's that's it. Um, I guess this is what I have to do. This is I don't have another choice. Um, or maybe just give up altogether and say, You know what, this isn't what I thought it was, and I'm just out. I'm out. I'm gonna go do something completely different. Um, but I love that as you're as you're telling your story, and and at each turn, there's this, well, what can we make this look like now? And it's leading to something else, right? Um, so, how what happened like after disney after you you left there like and going into even your own business i mean was that was that a, a an immediate next step opening your own business or no okay
0: no um so in what you were just saying like there there has been moments in my life where i didn't know what the next step was mm. and i kind of ended up wallowing in that well this is how it is this is what i've chosen this is you know i've made this decision and it's a painful place to be because you know, you're not supposed to be there. And it's like, there's something deep inside of you that knows that there's more, but you're not exactly sure where to get the more from. Mm -hmm. And there were years like after I had my first, so I moved back from California, got married, was still in school. And then seven months after we got married, found out we were pregnant. And I was like, I never wanted children, what am I supposed to do now? So I spent that semester just feeling guilty and like a terrible human because I didn't want kids. But here I was in a position and with my beliefs, there was no, having a baby was the only option. And I'm not saying that I would ever change that, but I didn't really get to be a kid because I got married so little. I was 23 when we got married. and so I had to kind of rethink things because it was it's very different being single and traveling wherever you want and doing whatever you want. Nobody depends on you except for you. And then there's other people that depend on you and that changes the game. And for me, that was like, oh my gosh, I have to be responsible now. I'm an adult. And so I was shoved into adulting in a way that I wasn't prepared for and did several things. I was a photographer I worked at Chick-fil-A as a manager, which was awful. And then I got a job working at Radio Disney, which was like, okay, cool. We're back in place. And then when the pregnancy came about, I was like, okay, I can still do this. I can still, I was still the one teaching all of the choreography and the dance moves to everybody else, even though I was the only one who was eight months pregnant. And so it was, it was a sight to see, to say the least. Um, But then the day we brought my first home from the hospital, they called a virtual meeting, which back then was not a thing. And they were like. The company has decided to close all of the Radio Disney franchises across the the states, except for in L.A. So if you'd like to stay with the company, you can move to L.A. to be part of Radio Disney or you can go to the Disney store. And I was like, hell no, I'm not going to retail. That's just as bad as food. So I remember we walked into Witch Witch, which is a sandwich place here. And I was bawling. I've got a brand new baby in a car seat and I'm bawling. And the poor lady was like, here's a free drink. Because she just didn't know (laughs) what to do. And I didn't know what to do. And I was super hormonal. And I had just popped a baby out. And it was crazy. And I fell into this weird space for... Probably two or three years where I was like, I know I'm meant for more, but this is the life that I've chosen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the world does not value women in the same way after you have a kid that they value you before. And I felt it and I felt it hard in a lot of different places. And so I was like, I need to make money. This is where the photography came in. And so I was like, okay, I'll do family sessions because I know lots of families. But as an artist, everybody was like, oh, hey, you need to beef up your portfolio. Can you do this for free? And I was like, that's not how this works.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And having my business background, I was like, I know how to do pricing. I know how to do all these things. But I was scared to ask for money because I didn't value myself because of seeing how everybody didn't value me. Mm -hmm. And so I felt kind of forgotten in the background and started teaching little sign language classes on the side and did stuff at libraries and kind of just did what I maj together whatever I could, because I just can't not be doing something, um, which was probably my saving grace, to be totally honest. And so once that all happened, I started applying for all these different remote jobs before remote jobs were cool. And now it's
1: necessary. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Well, everybody was like, OK, th- your options to work from home in 2014 were medical billing, which is boring, and MLMs. And I was like, I don't want to do either of those. So I started looking for all, all the tech companies and I started just applying. And one of them picked me up and I learned how to code. I did all these things. And then people started asking, because I always go above and beyond answering tickets. Do you do consulting on the side? And I was like, "Hmm, no, but let's try it. And so I started doing some free consulting and then realized that I was really good at it. And it started to marry a lot of the things that I was already kind of doing, but only dabbling in that I was good at. And then all of a sudden I had a business and I was like, I don't know how you got here, but cool.
1: Hmm. yeah you know <laughs> I, again i continue to see how your your problem solving your puzzle making <laughs> comes into play there because it's all those pieces kind of coming together and you know when you're talking about first of all thank you for sharing that part of your story especially um just when it's easy to gloss over the the years or the moments where you're like i don't really know what to do with this this was not the greatest. And this was a low point. Mm-hmm. And especially today, I think so many people are, are just wanting to be sharing about all the successes, the wins, the, you know, where they are now and killing it and all the rest of that stuff. Um, but yet what gets lost in there is the story of how they got there. And um, I think that's what's most relatable. At least that's what I find most relatable a lot of times. And I think so do a lot of people listening to this podcast. Um, because that's where real life happens, right? In in that place of trying to get to where it is that you want to go, where you hope you can go, trying to make sense of what it is that maybe life looks like in the midst of disappointments and setbacks. Um, and so, you know, just your ability to be able to keep going, um, the tenacity, you know, the stubbornness, maybe, right? <laughs> the I, I could say that because I'm the way to. Um, But, uh, I think that that is something to, um, to really, uh, just celebrate in the midst of this, um, because I think you've, you've learned so many lessons through those things. It's, and, um, and then now to be at a place where you can take those things and then now help other people with the things that they're trying to build and create, um, you know, that's, that's awesome. So I just want to say, um, thank you again for sharing that you know, your story and for the stuff that you do, because it it truly does make a difference. So. Well,
0: and I think it comes down to. There's like a germination time for everything. So I probably wasn't ready to be where I am now. You know, if I had started my business when I really wanted to or, you know, if I have all these ideas of if I would have only done that, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it. and. I wouldn't have the certain things that came into place. So I think it just comes to being open that like living life, even though it's really hard, but living life with an open hand Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, I know crap's going to get taken out of this that I don't want to be taken, but I'm just going to let it happen because I know that other things that I really want that I don't even realize that I want are going to be placed in those places.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in that, in that same vein, in terms of creativity, right? Certain things were taken out of that earlier on for you. um, But how do you inject or make sure that creativity shows up in your daily life? um, And maybe it's not necessarily tied to your business and how you're helping other people, but just even in a general sense, like what does creativity look like for you today?
0: I didn't have the answer to this question for a really long time. I mean, I legit thought that creativity was shelved and I was just the background singer to everybody else's creative endeavor, which is why I've always been attracted to creative to creatives in general, because I'm like, oh, well, this is what I wanna be doing. So let me help you get yours out there. And there was a missing piece for me until I started to switch over to a personal brand and realized, oh crap, I have to figure this out because these are the questions that I've been asking myself subconsciously. But I think for me, it's not putting my creativity in my work because then it's not fun anymore. And it's like, yes, I'm being creative when I'm coming up with new ideas or coming up with a new spreadsheet or doing all these different things that people aren't thinking about, but I don't view it as creativity. I view it as just something that is so natural that I can't shut it off. And creativity to me is something that I want to be able to enjoy. So, you know, music, um, I'm going to be taking voice lessons this year and getting back into that and doing some of the things that are just for fun. They don't, they're not tied to money. Cause I think as Mm -hmm. soon as I put a dollar sign next to it, I'm like, okay, I have to like do this really, really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you bring up a good point because we live in a culture that is obsessed with the side hustle and so much of how can you take what it is that you do and, and monetize it and push it forward and build a business and, you know, scale, scale, scale. And sometimes it's like, you know what, that's not always the right answer. Um, sometimes, and and I talk to other creative people and I say, you know, I think especially those who are doing a creative job, um, whether that's for somebody else in the corporate space or they're just making their living from creativity. I always encourage people that they really need two things, they need to, to continue to do that if that's what they love to do, but then also have passion projects, projects that are just theirs. So that, that aspect of joy and wonder and excitement, it doesn't get squashed. It doesn't get stolen by committees and clients and you know budgets that are outside your control Um, you need some things that are just yours. And maybe what you create sees the light of day where other people get to enjoy it, but maybe not. Maybe it's just for you. Um, And I think it's important to have both of those things happening. And a lot of times the the pushback I get is, well, I've been creative all day long. I've been doing this stuff for everybody else. And now to go home, I don't have the energy to be able to do something for myself. I'm tapped out, or I don't have the time because I, I had to work late and do all this stuff. And the, the sad thing is, is that when we don't prioritize for that, it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where it that never gets into place. And then people feel really depleted and really frustrated with the fact that their creativity isn't really making them feel like they're doing something significant and truly them. And then they get to a point where they're like, that's it, I quit because this isn't working. I don't feel like I'm satisfied in how my creative work is showing up in the world, you know? And that's a sad thing, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and I was totally that person. I mean, business, five children being the main breadwinner, there was no time at the end of the day. And through many, 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 many many counseling sessions, I was finally convinced that, okay, I need to find something for myself. And I did it kicking and screaming. Hmm. I was like, oh, I'll do this and I'll go do this. And it was in the middle of the pandemic. So I had lots of excuses of why I couldn't do things. And then I started doing, I did tap and ballet at the same time. And I realized, okay, the one that I thought that I was going to love, I actually couldn't stand because it made me hate my body. And so I was like, okay, we're dropping ballet because even though I never stop anything in the middle, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Because I was like, the point of this is to be fun. And it's not fun. I shouldn't cry in my car every single session afterwards. And so I was like, okay, I like tap dancing. I am terrible at it. I look like a fawn that broke a leg, <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible, but it's so fun. And there is, there's nothing connected to it. Like I can't make money from it. I don't have to think about it. I just get to go and talk with people and somebody else runs the show. Mm-hmm. I think that's important, especially in this Because you get bogged down by the admin pieces. And then that's part of the reason that we lose the excitement for it. Because we're like, oh, I had all these dreams and these passions and I'm so multifaceted, but I'm stuck doing this one thing. Mm -hmm. You're stuck doing this one thing to make money for now. But that doesn't mean that you can't do all the other things that you were passionate about. And I'm guilty as charged. Because I'm the person who was like, I stopped doing choir. I stopped listening to music. I stopped doing all the things that I was in love with growing up. And then as I've started pulling them back up, like you listen to a song from high school and you're like, how did that take me back to that moment in time? And you start to feel some of that revitalization that you had at that moment. And you're like, okay, this is like a drug. Let's just keep going.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, when you, when you shut something off like that, it really does do something to you that I think a lot of people underestimate. You know, for me, when I always talk about it, I, was, I took 10 years not doing my art. Ultimately, it led me to depression. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to happen to everybody, but there is something that you just, you can't show up the way that you should be showing up and that the way they that think that's most healthy for you to show up when you don't have those pieces uh, and components in your life. And, and I'll be honest too, one of the things that I used to really get um, just very frustrated with was the word hobby, because for me, I had a lot of voices growing up that would say, well, your art is a great hobby, but it's not a great career. And so hobby always had this like negative connotation in this sense of like, well, you can't do that because you know, it's not the practical thing. Um, and so for a long time, I really, I I just would hear that word and I'd I'd be like, ah, like, (laughs) you know, but I think if we carry that too far and say, we don't make time for you know hobbies and basically just defining that as, yeah, this is just something you're not making money from, but is that something that you enjoy? It's something that fills you up in a different way. Um, and so for me, I had to redefine that word um, because of the connotations that had become attached to it for so long and realize, oh, well, there are things that need to be a part of my life that um, are just for me to bring me joy. And that's not just okay. That's actually the way it should be, you know?
0: Well, and if we look, we're going to get nerdy for like two minutes. (laughs) Just (laughs) two We'll see, we'll see how many questions you have, uh, but when we look at brain science, we know that ideas actually start in the creative sphere on the right side, and they move over to the left side, but our generations taught hard skills, math, strategy, science, things that are tangible that we can feel that are, were easy in the workplace at the time when everything was more physical labor, things like that. Now that we're moving into a digital age, Gen Z has it so easy because they're like, oh, I'll just go get famous on TikTok and YouTube. And we're like, that was never an option for us. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We liked the idea of it, but there was not very many of us who had parents who were like, yes, go get it. You can do it. Be creative. And those that did, congratulations, go hug your parents. But for those of us who didn't, we were taught, hey, these are the jobs that you get. You're either a police officer, a fireman, an accountant, a business person, a teacher. There wasn't a whole lot of other things. Like if you said, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be a ballerina and I'm going to own a unicorn, like most children. People were like, oh, that's a terrible idea. Now I listen to kids and they're like, I'm going to own a unicorn. And they're like, that's fantastic. And I'm like, nobody told me that that was okay. But the thing is, is that you have two sides of your brain for a reason. They work together, and if you're not using one side, that's predominantly the creative side, and you're throwing all of that out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. You're actually not creating the synapses there. And now, what do all jobs want? They want you to be creative and out of the box thinker. All these things that we were told don't do that, and now everybody's like, "Oh, hey, that's actually a good idea. You should be doing that because all of the jobs are now." that you were doing, a computer's doing for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And, you know, trying to embrace those places in us that either externally we've been told or, and then we've got the internal problem, right? Where it's the, the inner critic that when we make attempts that says those attempts aren't good enough, what you do, doesn't look like what you think it should look like. And therefore it doesn't have value. Therefore you don't have value in regards to that, you know, that it becomes a very slippery slope for so many people. Um, I would love to, to know a little bit more about like you, you said, you know, tap dancing and music and things. Um, what is it that you would love to do maybe that you have yet to do in terms of creativity, in terms of, um, just some kind of expression that, You know, maybe it's tied to business. Maybe it's not.
0: That's a great question. I think that for me, it's learning an instrument really, really well because I've tried piano. I have a ukulele in my closet that I've never touched because I'm afraid of what's going to come out. And honestly, like there's moments when I'm like. I'm not going to be any good at it, so I'm not even going to try. But then I'm watching my oldest, who's seven, in occupational therapy. And they're like, nobody's ever good at things the first time. And then you look at babies when they start walking. They walk and they fall down. And then we clap for them. But when we fall down, nobody's there clapping. And I think that we, let, we internalize that in a way that makes it hard to start new things. So I'm sure that there's other things that I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be really cool to do like sculpture or pottery or something that's more like hands-on fun, you know, throw clay around kind of stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Tactile.
0: Yes. Um, But I think it's like learning an instrument and then getting back into painting because I haven't picked up painting in years because I'm like, there's so many other people that are so much better at it. Why should I even bother? Because I'm not going to It's that platonic conception. I'm not going to be able to put onto paper what I'm envisioning in my head and then I'm going to be Mm -hmm. disappointed.
1: Yep, yeah.
0: And so I just don't do it because I don't want to feel that disappointment. But I think that that's part of the learning process of you have to fall down and you have to clap for yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's such a, that's beautifully said. And I really do wish that there was a movement that would start that we would just start clapping for each other, you know, when we're, when we're falling down and like, Hey, it's, it's okay. And it's part of the process and just get back up again. Let's keep going. Don't give up. You know, so many people, I think fall and they don't get back up because it's, it's tiring. Right. Um, and disappointment is, is definitely a very real thing in terms of, not only your vision of what you want to see happen creatively, but then just walking that out. Uh, so many people who I know have dedicated their lives to pursuing something, and there was nobody coming to discover them. There was nobody coming to give them that big break. Um, I'm always amazed when I hear of these certain actors um, that you know I don't necessarily know, but I've, I, I've seen them, right? They have bit roles in some movies. And, you know, if it's someone who passed away or they're just celebrating somebody for a certain amount of um, movies they've been in and realizing like, oh, you know, these people have been working all along. They've actually made a really good living from their creative efforts and from the thing that they love to do. Um, They just maybe didn't achieve a certain status that everybody else tends to celebrate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes it's maybe even redefining what that success looks like. And what the metrics we use are that tell us that we're either on track or not, Um, and allowing ourselves some grace, honestly, right, in the midst of figuring stuff out. Because that's so often, I think, the case where, you know, there are people who want to, you know, tell you, here's the map, here's the three steps to blah, blah, blah. Uh, But you don't have to get into that too long to realize that. That may have worked for them in their context, but that's not necessarily a thing that you can just overlay onto your own and will give you the golden keys that you need across the board. Um, It's still figuring out how do I adapt these things for my own, right? Um, I would think that's that's probably a big portion of of just even strategy, right? Even for you and helping people figure out what some of that looks like, right? Has that been your experience?
0: Absolutely. Actually, I am so years ago, my Instagram used to be email marketing guru. And then the more that I started getting into this, I realized that there wasn't a step-by-step process for each person. Everybody's system looked different. Everybody's, there were core principles that were in each person's system, but there was some gray area where you could kind of, you know, choose your own adventure. And that was the beauty of it. And I think that's what attracted me to email in the first place, because it is so much fun. There are so many things you can do with it, even though everybody's like emails dead. It's boring. It can be if you make it that way, but so can drawing and painting and art and music and it can be boring. But what I loved about it was that I didn't have to have the three-step process for each person. All I had to do was say, here's the principles and here's where I've seen it work and you can make it work too. And it doesn't matter if you do, if you have a webinar or if you do a live launch, or if you uh, keep things open all the time, you can do it however you want and whatever works for you. And with having five kids, I was like, okay, what works for me is automating as much as freaking possible because one, I want to have a life outside of my computer. And 2 who wants to be in their business all the time. Like the goal of the reason that we start a business or do anything like this from whatever creative passion we have is so that we can have more time, more money, more freedom. And if you're in a business, you probably realize that that's not what actually happens most of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So much truth in that. (laughs) Wow, well, you know speaking about email and um, some of some of the things that you actually offer in terms of help and things, um, where can people find you and is there something that that they can come to you specifically for that you think would be a great fit in terms of you know the creative audience right now?
0: Yeah, so what I find is the best thing to start with is just knowing where you're at and so doing a basic audit of yourself and saying okay here's where all my analytics are at here's where all the numbers are the numbers don't lie so whatever you're using social media wise email wise writing everything down and saying here's the numbers starting there and then if you're wanting to put together a system we have two-day workshops that we do every quarter that help put those together for people and i've got lots of free resources at cabrinabudwell.com/resources that can get you started so no matter where you're at like i'm not here to say here's the exact thing that you need to do i'm just saying here's where some ideas are and go find what works
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love that and i mean it's even speaking from experience of just our interactions as of late um in me knowing hey there's a whole skill set that i don't necessarily have uh, that you do, and having these conversations with you about what can things look like, um, what are some of those systems? How can we organize some of the content around making it um, what it needs to be and making it accessible to people? Um, and so. You know, just for you who are listening right now, this is something very real time <laughs> that is happening, and conversations that I've been having with Cabrina. Um, and just so you know, this isn't one of those like, "Hey, I'm positioning at the end of the the, the podcast here to to go and sign up for lists and and all these different things." Um, I'm I'm speaking from just you know my experience and and truth of as creative people, we need other people who have different skill sets. Uh, and if you are somebody who is like me, where You know you don't have those skill sets um tap cabrina uh, or find someone else maybe that you know that has a similar skill set um but at least start with her resources because i really do believe that um as you've heard on this episode she has a wealth of knowledge and experience that can really help you get some understanding and even asking you some right questions so you know how to process and figure out some right next steps so um Cabrina, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Um, I always enjoy speaking with you. You know that. And um, I'm glad that um, for the work that you're doing, for the creativity that's continuing to show up in your life, how you're not saying no anymore to those places, but you're embracing that. um, I am clapping loudly for you, my friend.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And just finding people around you that can be that support because it's that whole all boats rise together and who you hang out with, you become like. So just making sure you find the right people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for this time today.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, Leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.